it's good to see you guys. You know, I, I frequently think when on, on Sunday mornings, I frequently think um, in kind of the words of, of King David go through my head of, um, I rejoiced when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And we are here because he's here. All right, we're continuing our series of sermons on markers of healthy missional churches. And so I want to start today by talking about um, a kind of a a very interesting group of laymen um, who were lived in the 8th century before Christ, um, and they are known as prophets of the Old Testament. This group of guys, um, very diverse, they didn't know each other, but in the 8th century B.C., these laymen spoke about piety and mercy and justice in ways that we still quote today. Their words are in places like the Library of Congress. Their words are in many courthouses because they spoke so clearly about justice and mercy and piety. Isaiah was a well-educated poet, and he was also a civil servant. He wasn't part of the priesthood. He wasn't part of the clergy. Amos was a farmer, a rancher, a small businessman. He um, wrote that he was neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet. Hosea, as you know, um, probably married a prostitute. We know next to nothing about him other than his, his nuclear family, um, other than, than he didn't seem to come from the city. And then Micah was like Amos. He was from the countryside. He wasn't highly educated. Yet he had words to say to his generation and to our generation that we still remember. Um, Under Isaiah, Isaiah lived 740 or ministered 740 to 680 BC. All right? He ministered in the south of Israel. The north was the the northern tribes, and the southern tribes were Judah. Under Isaiah, there had been this like incredible economic growth. The, the, The economy really was thriving. Um, There had been a growing middle class for a generation, but there were more and more people who were actually turning away from the worship of God. And then there were more and more people who were showing up for temple worship, but it was really a formality. And then there were more and more people who were showing up and they were passionate about worship in the temple, but there was a disconnect between their Sabbath worship and the rest of their week. As a result of the people of God not being healthy and missional, as a result, um, land barons were taking advantage of the poor. They were evicting widows. Business ethics were corrupt. There was serious income inequality, and the legal system didn't work on justice. It worked on briberies. And so in Isaiah's time, there was this veneer of prosperity and well-being. But the foundation of a just and moral society was crumbling underneath them. And this is what Isaiah spoke into. Because it would only be a matter of time, if the people didn't turn around, that God's judgment would fall on the southern tribes. So listen to these scathing words um, in Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah writes, Listen, O heavens, pay attention, earth. This is what the Lord says. The children I raised and cared for have rebelled against me. Even an ox knows its owner, 
And a donkey recognizes its master's care. But Israel doesn't know its master. My people don't recognize my care for them. What a sinful nation they have become, loaded down with a burden of guilt. What makes you think I want all your sacrifices, says the Lord? I'm sick of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened calves. I get no pleasure from the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to worship me, who asked you to parade through my courts with all of your ceremony? Stop bringing me your meaningless gifts. The incense of your offerings disgusts me. As for your celebrations of the new moon and the Sabbath and your special days for fasting, they are all sinful and false. I want no more of your pious meetings. This would be like God saying to Cornerstone, just quit showing up and singing the songs that you're singing because they don't mean nothing. They actually disgust me. God goes on and says, I hate your new moon celebrations and your annual festivals. They are a burden to me. I cannot stand them. When you lift up your hands in prayer, I will not look. Though you offer many prayers, I will not listen. For your hands are covered with the blood of innocent victims. Wash yourselves and be clean. Get your sins out of my sight. Give up your evil ways. And then verse 17 is on the screen. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of orphans and fight for the rights of widows. I, the Lord, have spoken. The Lord speaks to that generation. A veneer of prosperity. Things looked like they were going well. But there was an erosion of justice and mercy in that society. And God's word to them is, learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of orphans. Fight for the rights of of widows. The 8th century B.C. prophets had a sensitivity to the heart of God. They could tell when there was a disconnect between what the people were doing in worship and how they were living their lives. And they knew that God wanted authentic and passionate worship. God wants us to sing with all of our hearts his praise. But God also wants our deeds to outpace our words. He wants our lives to outweigh our songs. And the 8th century prophets knew that where God's people didn't stand up for the poor and the oppressed and the marginalized and the voiceless, when God's people don't stand up for them, the society starts to crumble and starts to crash. So Amos ministered from 760 to 753 B.C. He ministered in the northern tribes, um, with the northern ten tribes, and in his time overlapped Isaiah, but probably we we figure that we don't think they ever met each other. Overlapping times. So in the northern tribes, there was also a time of economic boom. And there was a, a national optimism about the future. But underneath, Amos saw greed, he saw systemic indifferent worship, or worship once again that didn't go beyond the place of worship into people's lives. It was okay. And now remember, Amos, he's not a preacher. He's not clergy. He says, I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet. Yet he records this rants of God in Amos 5, 21 to 24. He writes what God says. God says, no regard for them, Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen in courthouses around our country, but let justice roll like a river, a river in righteousness like a never-failing 
stream. Hosea, ministry. And it sounds like he's writing it to the 21st century. Listen to his words. Hear the word of the Lord. You kill and you steal and you commit adultery. There is vile disasters that we're creating. That's why your land is in mourning and everyone is wasting away. Act with love and justice. And always depend. The latest of the 8th century B.C. prophets um, ministered from 730 in Judah. False prophets preached for riches, not for righteousness. Princes thrived more for greed than for God. Landlords stole from the poor and evicted widows. Judges his people. And where Isaiah said, learn to do good, seek justice, help the oppressed. God has shown you, O oh man, what is good. What does the Lord cares of his followers? What Jesus wants for his followers is us. So often we think that if we're showing up in worship on Sunday and singing the songs with all of our hearts, you weren't even saved just so you would have eternal life. You were saved so that you would join how a place in eternity. Here's how our denomination defines this marker. We have identified pathways for compassion, mercy, and justice ministries to take place. I love how John Perkins um, talks about mercy and justice. Um, John Perkins was a student to jump in and rescue those people to keep them from sinking. He says, that's what mercy is, and we've got to, and justice, and as, as Micah points out, to do that because we are just aches for it to grow into other areas in the world. Um, the 8th century prophets, I think, would tell us that the people of God abandon walking humbly with him, loving mercy, and doing justice. That your per- personal piety is great. Love it. Good. But it's not enough. And I don't think this is optional. I think this is absolutely essential. Passionate about justice. Micah is very clear that we must do justice. To confront what is broken in the world and try to fix what is broken with the power of Jesus Christ. To do justice is to stand up because they're created in the image of God alone. And not because they meet our expectations. In the Lord's prayer, prayer we prayed, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. To confront and to seek to correct. You know the situation with human trafficking. Horrifically, at some point, immigration issues, eliminating hunger before they were 18. And somewhere we've got to look at what's going on with that. This goes on and on and on and on. And we, we read it in the newspapers, we hear it in the news, we, we, we know that there is great injustice in the world. And it's not good enough to just go, oh, that's terrible. It's not good enough just to pray about that. We are called to join the mission of Jesus, claim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, for us oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. As a follower of Jesus, Jesus did as he, he stood against racial injustice. He would touch people to fulfill the mission that God gave him. And he's given that mission to carry on the mission of Jesus in the world. But here's the problem. None of us can do everything, but every single one of us has something that we eyes. There's a great book called The Whole in Our Gospel. It just identifies, um, find something broken in the world that you just can't stand. Justice movements in the, the people of Jesus starts 
Because just one Christian held accountable by God for closing our eyes to the justice issue. Something that you're already good at could address injustice in the world. You're familiar with Kiva.com? Here's how Kiva.com got started. A bunch of young adults in their 20s, um, they're now in their 30s, they go on their website, and somebody said, well, what are we any good at? And one guy said, well, I can do marketing. Another guy said, I can whereby people around the world can give microloans to the very, very poor. Any good at? Figure out what you're already good at. It's very likely coming in the future, or maybe it's behind you. Here's another suggestion. Find some area of black and white picture of Right, you, none of you were born or lived during the Vietnam War. Planned a napalm attack that a South Vietnamese um, pilot had flown. They're off her clothes, and you, she's running, and you see the horror on her face. She was uh, third-degree burns over 50% of her body, but she did survive, but it took 14 months living under a communist regime. She started reading religious writings and what, um, what the Western imperialists would do to little children. Through it all, she, she says, when I became a Christian, I had this wonderful connection between me, your children who have suffered in war, but to nurture forgiveness and peace. She met the pilot. Look at the next picture. You'll get a picture of what she looks like now. And there's such a grace. And, and I watched an interview. And I mean, in the meantime, while you're trying to figure out where it is that you're supposed to make a sake, tutor some kid in a, in a school. Become a big brother or a big father. Do something. You know, don't, don't just think that justice... Did you do something about justice this week? Because there's a hole in our gospel. If we think we can have piety and we think we can have warm feelings... 15 years ago in Panama, and people walked out and there were beggars on the street and they took all the clothes off their kids and gave them to all the... Be- supposed to be ministers of justice for the rest of our lives. And good intentions... Okay, it's not just individually. You know, on the continent of Africa... The countries that have received the most peace, as you are trying to find the cause for justice that you're supposed to address because of greed um, in this area. All right. Um, okay. And mercy captures part of what it means when Micah says, longing for the people that you know or the people around you to thrive. Has to be a Hebrew word. And just like justice, it's not good enough to talk about it and care about it and have warm foretold is that we have to love mercy. We have to love, will you bless that person? So that when somebody's annoying you because they have, you know, to love mercy means that when we are cursed, we return blessings. To love so much that I will do whatever I need to do. To love mercy. And since it's a theme of our summer community groups, I want to just put in another plug. And as part of how God is going to accomplish that. So, not good enough to talk about it. Not good. Women's brought to him in adultery. And they want to stone her. You're going to look on her really bad. Or are you going to back away from them to keep your safety? Humble in the Old Testament, which is kind of weird. I don't know why. But it has, has to do with humility, of course. Um, but it has to do with wisdom and intentionality, and you will not nurture a love for mercy doing justice and never learning to love mercy. And you can learn to love mercy and nurturing and attentiveness, owning your own spiritual journey. Because here's the deal, humbly, intentionally, wisely with your God. Because out of that, Christian formation stuff for me, it starts 
with this intentional, wise, owning and say, I'm done with you. I'm tired because your deeds are not... Where do we go with all this, right? It's so clear that we've got to... I don't want you to do your self-assessment on Sunday afternoon when you're rested and pretty, okay? I want devotion of our mercy and of our justice. Um, I want to encourage you to get very, very practical. I preached sermons like this, and we did... They led us as a congregation to do something about it. Had a guy who, who was... Um, I said, I don't know, what are you passionate about? He says, this, this sex slavery stuff, just very practical. And start to do your homework, open your eyes, do your research on a regular basis of how we are, are, are walking humbly with God, how we are... This is what we are called to be as the people of Jesus. So Jennifer, come on up, and I want to give the pastoral staff almost two months ago and said, hey, what about this? And it's so lined up. needs are captured in the phrase to live their social needs to relate to other people to belong to love and to be loved just women in need do not receive enough food shelter and most importantly approximately 6,000 homeless men and women are on the streets in the greater Boston area the poverty of being unwanted and uncared for is the greatest poverty so come on to the center okay so we have we decided to come up with a project called the Dignity Box, and basically our statement, our mission, is to provide the dignity of women everywhere through the delivery of feminine products in one box at a time. And so just to provide you guys a little background information on who we are, um, like I said, this is my sister, and so we both actually moved here from L.A. a year ago, and um, we've always been... Growing up in L.A., growing up in an area where it's completely urban everywhere you go, like going through downtown L.A., like Koreatown, anywhere, you always see homeless people everywhere that you go. And it's kind of always something like that's hit us close to home because we've grown up basically seeing these homeless people everywhere. And um, like, for example, Connie here, she went to college at USC, University of Southern California, and basically that's in a, a neighborhood well-known to be a lower-income area where there are a lot of homeless people everywhere. And it, in her case, she's ran into homeless women in the bathroom at her own college. And for me, even in college, I went to UCLA. At UCLA, I held philanthropy benefits through the organizations that I belong to at school for homeless people too. And so this has always been something that's always been on our minds. And even for Jennifer, and she, you got, most of you know her, and so she's moved here from Korea and Hawaii. And, you know, just her coming to an area like Boston that's completely different from Korea and Hawaii, she's seen these, she saw these homeless people as she started school here a year ago. And it's, you know, it's been kind of like a shock for her too. And so we thought that we would come together and we decided 
what is a good way to help people? What can we do that hasn't been thought of before? And we were Googling things and just looking things up and researching, and we found that in Massachusetts there isn't any organization or formal cause that actually helps homeless women in something so specific like helping them get access to feminine products. And so we thought it would be an amazing idea to get together and start the Dignity Box, which is basically shoe boxes that are filled with feminine products and just basic necessities that we're trying to collect and basically distribute to homeless shelters so that they can then distribute to these women in need. And if we can go to the next slide, please. Okay. And so basically, uh, on a medical standpoint, we know that without the basic hygiene care and basic general washing for these women, um, they are prone to a lot of vaginal infections, such as bacterial vaginosis or BV or even yeast infections. And so basically, these are prevented simply by just taking care of yourself, by simply just washing every day and changing these feminine products daily, hour, or like by every few hours. And by not doing so, you know, these women can't help but, be, but to become prone to these infections. And as mentioned in the video earlier, we did say that there are 6,000 homeless men and women on the streets of Boston in our community, in the neighborhood, and more than half of which are women suffering their period every month. And like um, the lady in the video that we interviewed, her name was Susan, she was saying that sometimes they just have to basically rough it out because if they have to choose between feminine products or food for themselves or their family, they're going to choose the food. And so we thought that we, in our position as you know, as fellow community members, that we would do this and give back to them in this way. Okay, so basically we're accepting donations of shoe boxes. So we can put in tampons, uh, pads, small shampoos, toothbrushes, just basic hygiene, hygienic uh, product, hygiene products. And um, if you want to donate some water or snacks, that'd be great too. We're going to assemble these shoe boxes and give them to homeless shelters, and then, or we're going to give them out ourselves. Yes, and we're in the process of just going around some churches and temples. and Yeah, just anywhere we can reach out. Like, anyone's really welcome. Um, so I have, I want to share you my favorite quote. Um, it's, okay, so it's, when, when you, uh, two things that define a person. I don't know if you heard about this, but uh, patience when you have nothing. An attitude when you have everything. So patience. Um, okay, when you have nothing, I'm sure there's quite a few needs that you need, you know, a lot of needs that you need to live every day, right? Your lives, your basic necessities. But uh, the question is, how patiently can you wait for the things that you get? Attitude. Okay, the second part of the quote is attitude. Um, and I think our society really needs to have the ability to... So um, another question is... Uh, than to do, but, you know, we just don't really act upon it. And I just hope that um, people who need help in math or science or art, music, just anything. Um, so I, we hope that all of you guys can support our Donated Box and just, you know, by just donating, donating um, shoe boxes filled with hygiene products. That's all. Thank you.
All right, in the, in the e-news this week, we'll have more information about the kinds of things that they're looking for. It comes down to this. None of us can do everything, but every one of us can do something. God has shown us what is required of us to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. How are you doing in those three essential points of being followers of Jesus? Let me ask the question a different way, and then we're going to close. If you died tonight, whose life would be any worse other than your family and your friends? If Cornerstone Church shut its doors this week, never met again, whose lives would be worse other than those of us in this room? I'd like to live in such a way, and I'd like our church to live in such a way that many, many, many depend on us to speak for them, to minister to them, to honor their dignity um, before the Lord. Listen to these words. Um, We aren't sure, but we're fairly confident that Jesus was thinking about Micah um, 6, 8 when he spoke in Matthew 23. And Jesus says, woe to you. He calls them teachers of the law and Pharisees, but basically, woe to you, religious people, You hypocrites, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the the latter without neglecting the former. I pray that when you're scratched, you bleed justice, mercy, and devotion. Let's pray. Father, um, the need is so incredibly great because sin has broken so much throughout all of creation. And you've sent your people as your emissaries to address what is broken, to restore what has been damaged, to recover what has been lost. And that means that we've got to deal with our own junk but we've got your Holy Spirit within us and among us and between us. And then it means that we've got to make priorities in our lives the priorities that Jesus had. Would you help us do that as a congregation, that we would each individually and as a church, that we would be healthy and missional so that when we're scratched, we bleed justice and mercy and devotion. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.